think I learned anything in school, academically speaking. Certainly nothing that you would find in a book. Um, and I don't mean this self-aggrandizingly. I mean that I really didn't learn anything in school. And I apparently had a decent education growing up before I went to college. What I learned in school was the pointless and utter cruelty of a crowd, the mind-numbing and stultifying terror of being forced to do things for grades, for value that is completely imagined, and these badges of honor that are assigned by these stultifying scumbags who have degrees and have been given authority over you, even as your peers are mind-numbingly, pointlessly there. I didn't learn anything, academically speaking, in school. Maybe that's okay, because what I learned was something else entirely. I learned about status, and I don't know how you learn about status in your youth, except by going to school. Not because you want to, but because you wake up and you're not dead and you're forced to go. To say the American public school system has failed to teach me anything applicable in real life is a cliché in and of itself. I never was the scholarly type. My school years were marked with unyielding boredom and discomfort, but the bands were unparalleled. Looking back, school served only to show the multitude of ways one can either benefit or blunder through life in its many institutions, but with a safety net. No gutter balls. I wasn't always a shitbird, though. It wasn't until a blown ACL folding into applying myself in artistic endeavor did I begin to experience levels of not giving a fuck previously thought to be impossible. I'm in high school. I've already somehow had a handful of tumultuous barfly sob story tier relationships. I've been playing shows at Hilljack VFWs to Korean war vets who certainly don't have moody goth country originals anywhere near the front of their musical palette. MDE dropped college cunts and I started a gang called The Creeps. Those days weren't particularly pleasant, but it's Mayberry compared to how things look not that many years later. The only orienting factor back then were The Creeps, the moniker given to a loose band of standout shitheads and slackers. It started as an offhand remark aimed at my friends and I and our propensity to do odd rituals and public acts of harassment during sports ball games and in between plays. The crew was truly ratified during halftime in a rival school's locker room. I found a jumbo packaging marker while searching an electrical room shelf and decided to throw KRP in drippy cramps font just beside a trophy case. I remember pulling my brother Thomas over to my work. We both reveled in our entry-level vandalism. Things got worse from there. 
From sabotaging school functions and recruiting autists to join the cause in hushed lunchroom exchanges, we began to mobilize and grow. And in the case of my brother Thomas and I, we learned that we could join forces and make some interesting art together. All in-house. All ambition. No posery. I'm proud to say that ever-burning flame of spite grows brighter by the day, and KRP stands with all but one of its founding members in this very moment. Instead of fucking around in school, we've learned trades and honed our crafts and built families and are steadily marching under a banner of defiance and resolve. And not to mention, you've probably rubbed elbows with creeps in this sphere without even knowing it. school and the matrix had just come out and despite the fact that none of my friends had seen it we were gearing up for recess we knew the score we loaded our pockets with a variety of crayola markers and anything else we could fashion into make-believe guns and headed out to the trees that bordered the soccer field after some time of jumping around doing what we thought was our best impression of neo we noticed mark our retarded friend gazing into the distance, apparently lost in thought, or whatever it is that goes on in tarred brains. I was always told he had Down syndrome, but looking back at it, it's clear that wasn't the case. He had none of the features typical of it, and if anything, he had the skull shape and facial features of Diddy Kong. While he was distracted, Chris uncapped one of his pens and drew a mark on the back of Mark's neck. Nothing. He went again, and a few more. I was stifling his typically embarrassing guffaw. He beckoned to me so I could look at his handiwork, and about half a dozen streaks now and several colors stained his neck. I took out some of my pens and added to it, both of us enjoying the game as Mark now wandered blissfully unaware. Chris decided to up the ante. Hey Mark, we should draw up some more paint. Mark obliged, always eager to partake or take control of whatever games we were playing. So we started drawing circles around his eyes, X's on his cheeks, and more. How's it look? Dude, it's looking awesome, we said in our glee. I don't know when we would have stopped. His face was utterly covered in all manners of shapes and colors that would not wash without hours of scrubbing when I spotted his aide running across the field, aghast at what we were doing. It wasn't until that point that a great sense of panic and shame washed over me in the, in the gravity of realizing just how stupid something was that you had done, a feeling that happens often in childhood. It was one of the few times I got sent to the office. Fortunately, my principal was a softie in both spirit and body, and I remember when this dumpy hag of a woman was questioning us trying to probe us to understand why we did what we did. In truth, I didn't really have an answer. We had brought the markers out to play gun games. I remember playing gun games when I was a kid, too, she tried to relate to us, but I didn't buy it even then. I don't know what this ruin did when she was young, but she wasn't playing gun games. I walked out of there without punishment, but I do have to spend the rest of my life 
remembering one of my most shameful acts, taking advantage of a vulnerable friend when I knew better, leaving him looking like he played tic-tac-toe with his own face. Hey man, how's it going? Long time no see. Yeah, the kids are doing good. Braden's almost five, so we're starting to look at schools. Public school? Oh no. Megan and I are thinking about sending Braden to one of those Montessori schools. You know, it's more creative, less structured. Actually, either Montessori or Waldorf. There's a great Waldorf school near Braden's tumbling studio. You know, by the Ross Dress for Less? Yeah. The Rudolf Steiner Waldorf schools. Yeah. The race science guy. Anyway. I think we're probably going to homeschool, either homeschool or unschool. But definitely we're going to get Braden in a magnet school or a trade school as soon as possible. Uh, get him learning some real on-the-job skills. So, definitely vocational school. And I think we're definitely going to focus on the trivium and the quadrivium. A real classical education. But we don't really want to have a curriculum. Anyway, we're also thinking about Catholic school. Maybe Catholic school. Or also maybe just putting Braden in a basket on the doorstep of an Orthodox monastery. Actually, have you heard of those John Taylor Gatto schools? They just let your kids loose on the streets of New York City. And they graduate when they can recite the entire text of Carol Quigley's Tragedy of Hope. But also, we were thinking of sending Braden to one of those schools for the deaf and the blind. I mean, we don't need to. He's not deaf or blind. But maybe it would really heighten his other senses. It's really important to do that kind of thing while kids have neuroplasticity, you know? Anyway, one time we left Braden at the daycare station at a libertarian convention for like seven hours, and when we came back, he was really good at making hemp bracelets. So we were thinking about maybe doing that as more of a long-term thing, because that lady accepted donations in Bitcoin. Early they consume those capable into the beast. That infernal machine molding individual incentives to produce future legions of the technocracy's imperial janissaries. Youthful yearning for affirmative learning hijacked by quantified assessments in the neoliberal matrix. Elementary spelling cohorts projecting eventual earnings. Worldly wise, indeed. Potential solidarity psyoped by division of laborers. Homework and house rules soon relegating inconvenient interest to the dustbins of personal history. Whose souls survive America? <laughs> Not gifted kids. So, you know, we had a lot of motivational speakers come to my middle school and high school, and so many of them were exactly like the Chris Farley SNL skit or the South Park anti-smokers bit. I don't know how those people to get the memo, because those are really old jokes, but, uh, yeah, we had, uh, you know, guys that drove drunk when they were a teenager and accidentally killed their friends in a minivan full of babies and all that good stuff. I'm exaggerating there, obviously, but uh, a lot of alcoholics and heroin addicts and quadriplegics and people who went to a coma for 10 years, and the crazy thing is, all the teachers at my middle school were damaged goods also. It was like... My English teacher's husband got shot to death in a bank robbery. A bank robbery, man. Like, what? The cooking teacher's daughter, like, killed herself, and my math teacher's husband also got shot, I think, and the art teacher was a nervous wreck who would burst into tears if he said the word volleyball for some reason. 
one male teacher always drop a pencil on the floor and ask a girl in a skirt to pick it up. He got in trouble for porn on his computer. And uh, the photography teacher got caught once jacking off in his dark room. I grew up in like a totally normal bourgeois suburban area, by the way. This one English teacher had her kids write an essay about what it would be like to have sex with a giant spider. <laughs> there was controversy about that, but... Anyway, back to the motivational speakers. They they had this really tiny old Jewish man who lived in her neighborhood who was a Holocaust survivor, and now he played drums for a local Antifa punk band. There was this girl like the same age as us who dropped out of school because like, she got bullied once. And so she became an anti-bullying activist, but she was, like, really obviously trying to jumpstart a career as the next Hannah Montana. Because half her anti-bullying thing was just singing, like, songs about, like, how you can believe in yourself. Like, um, I feel like that was a Dire of a Wimpy Kid bit. It was, like, the weirdest way to astroturf a music career. Uh, there was this one military dude with a whole speech about losing our individualism. That was pretty epic. There was this one guy who kept going back and forth between saying, America. That was like his one joke. He'd say that and then go back to talking about getting raped in an orphanage after his parents both died. And then he'd say, that's just life in America. My high school had a lot of guest performers and it was really surreal. One day I was just walking to class and passed by an entire African tribe dancing in the auditorium just out of nowhere. That'll wake you up. There was, there was this other African guy whose family and whole village got massacred in a civil war, and he somehow escaped with his, his run-DMC cassette tapes by the skin of his teeth, and he had this long, awful journey of going through all this death and destruction, and then he became a child soldier, and they brainwashed him with Rambo movies and some kind of mixture of cocaine and meth or something that he was fed 24-7, and he was out there just, like, burying people alive and laughing at their screams, like like general butt naked and then he got unbrainwashed by unicef or something and now he does tours all over the world about this book that we were all supposed to have read over the summer this memoir of his so when he came to speak he was just like purposefully telling us all this stuff that wasn't in the book and question time rolls around and all these kids are just like what was it like to live in a civil war and the teacher on stage was rushing him, and we were just a massive auditorium of sweaty brats, man, with General Naked over here. And the peak of it was finally some kid asked him, Can you show us your bullet wounds? And he just laughed and said no. There's probably about like a million more stories I can tell about my education, but, you know, basically if I could sum it up in one word, freaks. local cinema with my friends and 
I don't know what to do about it. You know, I uh, I believe in civil liberties, <laughs> even for children. But there's another part of me that thinks that all pre-adolescents and adolescents should just go to concentration camps for a while. We don't need to make them, you know, harsh concentration camps. They can be pleasant. They can have swimming pools. But you know, why not do that instead of put them through the prisons that we have, right? The domestic prisons. Let's, let's put them in foreign concentration camps. I think it'd be better for everyone involved. Bee lunch starts at 12.15. Most of the football and lacrosse players have this lunch. I played football until the end of freshman year. My dad told me it would be a good way for me to make guy friends. So much for that. Aiden, Clay, and Jerry all sit together near the table close to the theater stage in the cafeteria. They think they're so cool, but they're so fucking stupid. A bunch of apes. In seventh grade, they all pinned me down in the locker room and took turns teabagging me. There's only one exit from the cafeteria by the vending machines. At this same time, Spinner will be in Miss Jennings' math class on the first floor by the ROTC room. Spinner has called me a fag all year because my mom used to pack me a party-sized Twinkie for lunch every day. And he says they name them after me because he says I'm a twink. He says that all Twinkies are cum simulators. I got my mom to stop packing them and she started packing Star Crunches instead and now he says I'm eating buttholes. We'll see how Mr. Funny Man is feeling next week. Stacy is in that same class, and she read the poems I dropped in her locker to all of her friends. And I know because every time I pass, she and her friends in the hall, they giggle, and they tell her that her brown eyes are like the finest soils from which their love springs. That used to be true for me, but then I realized what a bitch she is. There's only two ways you can get out of the school from that room. One is to the left to the C-wing exit, and the other is to go straight ahead out the main doors. I don't care who gets in my way. There's only scum in attendance at San Diablo High. I am not a fag. I thought colleges were supposed to assign the classics, like Divine Comedy or The Picture of Dorian Gray. But I guess since those books are written by dead white men, they've been purged from the curriculum. Nick, listen to what's on the reading list for this semester. Big titty teacher has extra lesson for well-hung student after class. Getting fucked by professor to pass anatomy. Teacher's pet gets cream pied for all her hard work. School nurse gives a different kind of examination. Sorority pledges suck dick while senior girls judge them. Field hockey coach makes his players do drills on his stick. Man, I'm sick of this post-colonial cancel culture shit ruining academia. You see, teaching is coercion and instruction is diversion. The real learning is in the subversion of immersion. The submersion. And submersion's just another word for suicide. Check it out, all the law books say it. Death by submersion. That's drowning. 
Should tell you something about the whole thing, the whole education system. Man, I hate that word, education. It's a noun, person, place, or thing. Teacher, school, subject. The teacher, schools, the subject. The subject, on the subject. You are the subject to the teacher of the subject, and on that subject, you will be subject to the teacher, the instructor, the facilitator. The one beyond the subject, but not the object, just the facilitator. Because the object is the objective. Goal, to educate. Now, that is called an infinitive, to educate. Because it just goes on forever, to educate. But it doesn't just happen, it always happens. Educating, look it up. It means leading forth, but it also means taking out. Taking out, whacking, talking about murder, folks, death. But the death of what? The death of the subject. No, wrong page, flip back. Death by drowning. Submersion. All the law books say it. Public schooling is a civic value. Schooling, civic, crowding, value. Fish, 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 my friend. Do not drown. They just follow the school. Maybe they get eaten by a shark, or a dolphin, or a bird, or a sea turtle, or maybe they stick around for long enough to make it to land where they actually suffocate, but at least they don't drown. That would be death by submersion. And fish can't drown. All the law books say it. Maybe that stupid fish wouldn't have drowned, I mean, suffocated, if he went to school and he learned a thing or two about the world above the water. Then, he would have learned to keep clear of it. Or maybe he wouldn't have learned anything at all, that stupid fish. After all, learning is the subversion of immersion, the submersion, and fish can't drown. So, I wake up in the one bedroom and I'm broke, hungover again. Ride my bike through the rain for a meeting with a professor. Smart guy, tie-dye shirts. He loved talking about how he'd pick on people for using uh, fallacious arguments at parties. I had to talk about my performance in the class or something. So I get there, and he's got wet hair too. So uh, bikes in the office. He looks real bedraggled. We're both stumbling over our sentences in the same way, and I realize uh, this guy's hungover too. I ask him how life's going, and he's broke, uh, some insane living situation where he's in a shed behind some other better-off academic's house. He's been having a rough time of it recently. And that right there, that's when I gave up on the whole grad school tenure, whatever thing. You can ride a bike hungover whenever you want, and you can live in a god-awful place to save on rent whenever you want, and you don't have to write a thesis, and you don't have to actually read Wittgenstein, and you never have to teach people who, by and large, will neither care nor learn more than they absolutely strictly have to. I'd like to believe someone else already covered the high school never ends motif, complete with sordid details of bickering and gossiping and malicious backstabbing and vindictive front-stabbing and how as long as kids are gonna cut class and school bells are ringing and gym uniforms are still a thing and so are yearbooks then all that stuff is gonna keep happening all right 
and I probably won't quit until sometime after World War III, but before World War IV. And I'll spare you the blah 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 yaggedy schmaggedy of higher education. But it should be noted that nothing can turn a person off from reading quicker than being tested, graded, and evaluated on things you can willingly retain. I mean, the only way you could turn someone off from reading quicker than that is to beat them with a phone book, but, you know, they don't do that in school anymore. You know what else they don't do in school anymore? Teach geography, civics, and home economics, alright? Now, I'm a product of the New York City public education system. Now, despite seeing many of the same things my cousins and my older brother did, what I graduated from was not the same that they graduated from. And what they graduated from is miles apart from what my mom and her generation graduated from. To hear my mom talk about home economics, civics, and geography, it was bananas. It was surreal. It's like someone trying to describe a color to you you've never even seen. Like, home economics would do this country so much good, it would only make sense, right, that kids learn not to live like animals. And as much as I want to point the finger at Generation Z, there are men and women my age who are broke at the end of the week, haven't learned how to fucking iron a shirt, and if you held a gun to their head, they couldn't tell you how much a gallon of milk costs, even though they might have came for where I came from or better. And those are their problems? Yikes. So here's the crux of the matter, okay? Yeah, geography's funny because, you know, four out of 27 people on a late night talk show man on the street segment actually get it right. And it is funny. It's like, it's not haha funny, it's pulmonary embolism funny. But civics, alright. Listen. Ask any old-timer, and they'll tell you the following. Civics was a class that used to be required before you could graduate from high school in this country, and you were taught what was in the United States Constitution. After everyone got uppity in the 60s, civics was banished from the student curriculum and was replaced by something called social studies. Here in these United States, we live in a country that has a fabulous constitution and all these guarantees, a contract between the citizens and the government. These days it seems like nobody knows what's in it. And so, if you don't know what your rights are, how can you stand up for them? need the social time they need to interact with their kids their own age and be able to choose activities that they want to choose my, my, my son is a happy go lucky person he never has been in a fight before in his life he's what you consider to be a nerd my son was assaulted in the lunchroom he was bullied it's a fad growing at schools across the country Smoking Smarties gives children the appearance of a smoker's exhale. Possession of Smarties or similar candy will result in a class two offense. 
So everyone, I'm gonna head over to Walmart right now to get some candy that I know will sell at my high school for a huge profit. Do you understand that when the bell rings, you shut your mouth and I could go and possibly teach you something then? That the purpose of being in here is not to listen to me look to sing to talk about sex. I mean, I listen to the conversations in here. I am sick to my stomach. Because when my mom was 13, it was like, let's go to school today. Go to the library. My mom wasn't really into the whole sex scene when she was 13 years old. <laughs> and we, we are. <laughs> kind of school ain't hard at all. Always take the back door. And they don't even see me pass through that back door. I'm too, I'm too strict for them. He came in. I was working on things. He kept coming closer to me and I would kind of walk away to the other part, you know, another room, you know, another area of the classroom. And he just walked up to me and then he kissed me. And then it just kind of went from there. To the teacher who was regularly intoxicated during class this year. Sophomore year is kind of when I started drinking in the mornings a lot more. College drinking environment for a long time allowed me to hide my problems in plain sight. Students trying to balance the stress of college and a social life may be resorting to a drug that helps them stay focused. Definitely every student I'd say has struggled by how well I'm going on. Physically, mentally, it uh, definitely was affecting my emotions, uh, making me depressed. I'm definitely still tempted to take it. Hey guys, it's your girl Tina. College is not offering a course on Beyonce. How many thousands of hours did you spend in classes studying subjects that you never thought about again? There are so many jobs where it used to be crazy to think they would need a college degree. In people's bones, they realize that what really counts is that diploma. Dear Professor Berta, I am writing to ask if I can get an extension on my paper due this Friday, in which I compare and contrast the sociological works How the Irish Became White by Noah Ignatiev and The Culture of Critique by Kevin MacDonald. I'm sorry to be asking on such short notice, but a tumultuous series of events has been preventing me from putting all my focus onto this prompt. My roommate has invited all of his gay acquaintances from Twitter to have an orgy in my room, and they say they're going to stay there until China frees the Uyghurs. My boss told me I need to work on my day off tomorrow because my coworker came down with Ebola. Last night I tried to pull an all-nighter at the library, but the Disabled Black Trans Student Alliance took it over in order to protest their lack of representation in the Alliance for Disabled Trans Students of Color. What's more, my MacBook was destroyed when I was at my friend's apartment and he threw up for loco all over it while we were watching Passion of the Christ together. Needless to say, my life is kind of all over the place right now 
and if you could just give me a few days to get this paper to you, I'm sure you will find it to be worth reading. Thank you, Elich. P.S. I have filed a complaint against you to the Dean of Academic Affairs for being a racist and science denier for when you called China the leading producer of carbon emissions. You will be hearing from them shortly. I hope this doesn't affect my ability to get an extension. I was a bad kid, and even worse, I was bad at being a bad kid. I never got away with anything. I got caught stealing Garfield anthologies from the Scholastic Book Fair. I got caught flipping off the P.E. teacher. I forged my mother's signature on a bad progress report. Got caught for that. But the best thing I ever got caught for happened at the end of my fifth grade year. Now all that year I had been running with a crew of mischief makers. There was Greg, Patrick, and Brandon. We were infamous for several things, but our favorite act of tomfoolery was to mock the mentally handicapped, a crowd favorite. On the last day of school, there was an all-star kickball game with students and faculty. Everyone was seated outside on a big grassy hill with minimal supervision. The game started with the national anthem. Everyone rose and covered their hearts to sing. Then me and my crew commenced to belt out a raucously loud rendition of the anthem and the best special ed voices we could muster. We sounded like the retard four tenors. It was beautiful, and we were very well received. Later that day, all the fifth graders were gathered into one room to watch The Little Mermaid. There was popcorn and candy. Before the movie, Mrs. Evans stood up front to address an incident. She then called forth Greg, Patrick, Brandon, and myself. She angrily berated us for disrespecting not only our nation, but our nation's retarded citizens. Then she made us sing the national anthem properly in front of all our peers. Nervous, we did our best. Every time we hesitated, she was there to crack the whip. Anytime we forgot the lyrics, she was there to correct us until we got it right. It felt like we were up there for an hour. It was humiliating. I thought that day we had paid the price for our transgression. But over the years, I became aware of a disturbing pattern. It started with Greg, who got married soon after high school and had four kids, all four of whom were severely autistic. Patrick developed substance abuse problems and overdosed on Duster when he was 22. He was brain dead for over 15 minutes. He now lives in an assisted living home and wears a drool bib. Brandon was killed by a drunk driver. The driver was a man with Down syndrome. So far, nothing has happened to me. I remain childless from fear of what might happen. I don't go out. I don't do anything. But I know, no matter how cautious I am, it's only a matter of time before I, too, am visited by the curse of the retard. I forgot to bring my gun to school because my dog ate it.
It's actually true. Kamala Harris and I did grow up at the same time in the same place. In Berkeley. We are the same age, she and I, and we lived about a mile and a half from each other. From birth, for her, until high school. For me, from birth through high school. But the thing about that is, number one, Kamala Harris has always done to me what Donald Trump does to white liberals. I have to admit she makes me irrational because she is to a T the same person as all of my vice principals who were in charge of discipline. Many of the principals I had who of course were also in charge of discipline and about four or five of my teachers running from kindergarten to high school a bunch of petty authoritarians who were Kamala's color, right? Because this was in the early 1970s. This was the dawn of affirmative action. And this was Berkeley, California. So guess what? We got to be the first school children in the world to be put on buses for a social engineering experiment known as integration. So Kamala has bragged about this. She's proud of it. In fact, she used it to shame Joe Biden to talk about Joe Biden being a racist. She talked about some little girl, it was in one of the Democratic debates, she was talking about this little black girl in California who <laughs> got put on a bus every day and how wonderful that was, I guess. Now here's how, what, here's how it really went down. Yeah, they put your ass on a bus at, you know, seven in the morning. What right-thinking child wants to be on a bus going anywhere at 7 in the morning, first of all? You get on the bus, my bus driver told me once that I was never going to amount to anything. <laughs> because I, I don't know, I was lippy, mouthy. I talk shit on the bus, I, I guess. I think so, that sounds right. But back to my story. The bus, so you get on the big yellow bus, and it's fully, you know, for me, fourth and fifth graders, second graders, these are animals. These are animals, especially when you get into middle school, right? Middle school children, those are animals. So you're on a bus with these animals. And, you know, Berkeley was always pretty integrated, actually. Uh, just naturally. Before this social engineering project came down. It was it was relatively integrated. Something that I really like. Really that's kind of that's what I'm proud of actually is that I grew up around lots and lots of black people and Latinos and Filipinos and Chinese, but actually mostly black people. Um, because my mother lived in the black section of town right on the Oakland border. In fact, we were about three blocks from the Black Panthers National Headquarters on Shattuck Avenue. We lived right next to the Ashby Bart Station, for those who know, on Otis Street. It's a block long. Still, I took my son there to visit just to show him where I grew up uh, about a year ago. And it's still about, about like I was when I was a kid there, about 60 to 70% black. And, uh, you know, this was the 1970s. This was, this was, as I said, the, the rise of the 
affirmative action, the post-civil rights era, black power, especially right in that exact neighborhood, was what was going on on the streets, meaning that I got my little white ass whooped <laughs> on a regular basis, even by my friends Michael and Hootie and Julian, who threw rocks at my house once. It was almost all racial. Let me take that back. It was almost all racist because it was because I was white. They ran the show on the streets. Now I understand I was certainly born with some advantages being that my parents were eggheads. And so I learned to talk like this from them. But, um, but on the streets as a child, the great integration experiment of the 1970s was a bunch of white boys and girls getting their asses kicked, getting harassed, getting abused physically and verbally, consistently, sometimes daily, by black kids. Now, you know, you could call this reparations. You could call this understandable, pent-up rage stemming from their position in society that overall is disadvantageous. I get it. I know it. I understand it. But I will never forgive those motherfuckers for putting all of us, black kids who whoop my ass and my little white ass, on those buses. Buses. Think about that. Putting a child on a bus at 7 a.m. and then sending him across town so that you could achieve this thing called racial equality integration in the name of what justice fucking children on buses doesn't that sound like something else that's happened kamala loves that shit uh and it's funny that she's beige <laughs> because of course the the object the goal of that social experiment is to produce beige people and i mean both the color but much more importantly, beige ideology, beige thinking, beige culture. Like in Las Vegas, where all the houses and all the condos are that same beige color. That's what they want. They want unity. That's what unity means. We were taught that unity is a good thing. That's what we were taught in those schools. But there was no unity. See, the children always knew better. Or the children just didn't get the message. We were poorly educated. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Those progressive globalist social engineering, probably eugenicists if you gave them a chance. Right-thinking progressives. Man. Yeah. I still have a grudge. All these decades later. Kamala. When I see her, I see that petty authoritarian in a little fucked up business suit, doesn't even fit right, exercising whatever frustration she might have on me, because I was sent to her office uh, weekly, because for reasons that probably came from home more than school, but whatever, I just wasn't having it. I was just rebellious constantly. I mean, I I would make fun of teachers. 
I would laugh, I would crack jokes when they were trying to teach. I don't even remember, really. I know that I was a complete, deliberate pain in the ass all the time. I know that none of it made sense to me. I know that I could never, ever bring myself to care at all about what they were teaching. I knew that at the time, so this is not my adult self imposing that idea on my child self. Remember, I haven't told you this, but okay, remember anyway, I was born a socialist. My parents were socialists in Berkeley. I was a socialist until I was 33 years old. So I was all about public schools, right? My parents were all about public schools, at least. <laughs> well, they just didn't care, but you know. If asked, they would have said, of course, you know, our ideology dictates that we should force children to go to these places, these boxes, and make them sit there all day long. And if you're super good as a human being, you'll get them on buses and send them across town so that we can feel better about our guilt, about our own secret racism. That's what it all is. It's these white people admitting and processing their little fleeting racist thoughts that they've all had. Intolerable. And they feel so bad for having these little fleeting thoughts that were completely inconsequential. So they have to go through this Maoist shaming process, this self-abnegation process, and they've got to make their kids beige, ideologically. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for engineering me, City of Berkeley, back in the day. Thank you for producing this woman who every time I see her, I am triggered, I'm going to use their word. You gave me trauma. I have PTSD. I will not get over it because there is no cure and I will never fucking forgive you. So I went to school at an overwhelmingly white Catholic school in South Jersey. And from kindergarten to sixth grade, we had one black kid in our class who was like one of five black kids in the whole school. Like, and one of those were his sister and another was his cousin. Uh, I'm going to call this kid Dennis. Uh, his name wasn't Dennis. His name was a bit more soulful than that. And Dennis lived in Camden, New Jersey, which back then was a city that was always uh, basically competing for the title of having the highest murder rate in the country. But even though he lived there, it never really registered to us just how different his world was from ours. Uh, like he'd say that he would hear gunshots outside his home at night. We wouldn't believe him. Uh, he'd come to school with bloody scratches on his face and say his mom did it to him. Uh, we didn't believe him at the time. Um, and starting in fourth grade, uh, he would frequently be getting suspended for antisocial behavior. Just to be clear, this kid had zero chance of fitting in. Uh, none of us knew how to relate to him, he didn't know how to relate to us, and most kids were unfriendly to him. 
Like, I never had any direct problems with him because, you know, I'm the shit. But he didn't seem to have any idea how to control his own reactions to the things that pissed him off. Like, he once asked my friend, uh, who actually went on to become a cop in Camden, funny enough, uh, if he liked Power Rangers uh, when they were both at the pencil sharpener. And my friend gave this response like, no, because, you know, we're in fourth grade and Power Rangers is for babies by then. Um, and Dennis reacted by taking his newly sharpened pencil and stabbing my friend in the shoulder. Uh, another time, this girl went to the teacher and this girl was a brat. She was like, Mrs. O'Donnell, Dennis is looking at my dress. That was literally the extent of the allegation. Um, so the teacher went, okay, Dennis, stop looking at her dress and expected, you know, everyone to just move on. And Dennis immediately punched this girl in the stomach in front of everybody. Fast forward to sixth grade, uh, it's recess and me and the other boys are running around giving each other titty twisters. And man, I used to have the nastiest looking bruises uh, on my nips from that shit. But anyway, um, we're giving each other purple nurples and Dennis runs up to the fat girl in the class, like the one morbidly obese girl that you just knew was already having a hard time at school. And he runs up to her and gives her a titty twister. So, yeah, that was finally the last straw. He was no longer going to this school after that. Uh, but his sister still went there, and I would see him again once or twice because of that. But yeah, that shit was fucking wild. I mean, boys at that age do so much crazy shit to each other, but we never thought that someone would take it there. Um, but as a result of this, the school started cracking down on titty twisters in general, even though it was all just man-on-man, -man, so... Uh, you know, they, they took our fun away. But yeah, that was definitely a wild time. I always felt bad for the kid because his life was so chaotic, but, you know, he gave the fat girl a titty twister. What are you going to do? Do you know why you're here today, son? No, but your fit makes you look like a straight-up dork. Precisely. You've been doing good work. You're the most effective bully out of the thousands of schools we've been monitoring for years now. It's not just the nerds that are terrified of you. You've got the teachers, girls, parents. Hell, even I'm still reeling from your roast of my drip. <laughs> yeah, everybody is a nerd except for me. <laughs> we need someone like you to lend your expertise here at Guantanamo in order to extract information from some of the most dangerous terrorists on the planet. If we don't find a way to really get under the skin of these extremists, we could end up with another 9-11 on our hands, which is something nobody wants. Were there nerds in the World Trade Center? I suppose a few. Uh, I guess I could help you fags out. What do you want? We've got Mohammed Abira here at Guantanamo, one of the leaders of the most dangerous Islamic extremist terror cells in the world. We know he's planning something, we just don't know when or where. We've tried every technique in the book to get information out of him. Waterboarding, placed him in a tub of crickets, roaches, and mice for three days, told him his wife and children were going to get killed, but nothing. This scumbag's lips are sealed. This is where you come in. 
Ugh, uh, sorry, I wasn't expecting the history of the world. Damn, you're good. We're gonna place you in a cell with Muhammad. You use whatever means necessary to get information out of him. We place the thickest frame glasses we could find on him, prosthetic buck teeth, and a young Shelton t-shirt to make sure your rage will be at maximum capacity. What's in it for me? Preventing another monumental tragedy. You get to own him. Okay, let's do this. Where is he? Right this way. Congratulations, son. How'd you do it? Well, I started out with a few swirlies because he looked like he needed a bath real bad. He won't be using that toilet anytime soon because it's clogged with his headdress. Mm-hmm. Okay. After that, I gave him the sort of titty twister that's only been witnessed in a storm chaser's wet dream. Helen Hunt would have killed for this footage, let me tell you. Mm, I bet, I bet. But slow down, son. I I'm taking all this down. Then I told him that if his hand is bigger than his face, it meant he has cancer. When he went to check, I smashed his hand into his face, breaking his nose. Next, told him he had something on his shirt, pointed at it. I wasn't lying, there was lots of blood from the titty twister. But then I flicked his nose when he looked down. <laughs> A classic. How have we missed this? I finished off by giving his dick an Indian rug burn. And that's when he finally confessed that he was planning on blowing up Kentucky with a nuke. Well, son, you should be real proud of yourself right now. You're an American hero. Any precocious, obnoxious high schooler or undergrad who has skimmed Foucault's Wikipedia page will tell you that school is a prison. After all, everything is a prison. Work is a prison, society is a prison, your mom and dad are a prison. The only thing that isn't a prison is prison, which is the only place left in the world where eroticism and sexual excitement haven't been completely hollowed out and eaten away by liberal consent culture. There are no nagging bitch women. There is no work. There is nothing to do but work out, read, and play games with your bros. Prison is the only place that a man is free. But I disagree with Foucault about schools. School is a daycare. Children know this intuitively, which is why they routinely call the shrill, strict, desexualized, but distinctly feminine 40-something-year-old women who make up the majority of teachers, mom. The truth is that reading, writing, and arithmetic don't take more than two years to learn with a focused program taught to students developed enough to have lost most of their baby teeth. But what do you do with kids if they can't work? This applies to high school too. I didn't have a high school math credits to take university calculus, so I was surprised to find that the university's pre-calc program, which covered two years of high school material, could be covered in just four months of three one-hour-long classes a week. High school could be compressed too. Or what do you do with teens if they can't work? The university calculus course itself surprised me with the simplicity of its material, 
and the difficulty the majority of students have with it. Myself included. I am not smart, but I'm smart enough to realize when something can be easily handled by someone who is actually meant to be there. This applied to all of my undergrad courses. Every year, the material gets a little easier, the class sizes get a little larger, and it takes on more bullshit busywork to justify uh, the sake of accreditation and the cost. But what do you do to the adults if they can't work? There is not enough meaningful work in the world. At least not enough to profit a person hiring them, nor at a wage that would allow the worker some measure of prosperity. So if the notion of leaving people unemployed and idle is so distasteful, what the fuck do you do with these people? School. School is where you put the excess population that aren't useful anywhere else. I don't know how to, this story is really humiliating. That's, that's honestly why I'm struggling to, to say it. Is it one I already know? I don't know if you know it or not. Um, so. Well, tell it to me. Okay, so when I was in high school, I uh, had this crush on a guy named Jacob, okay? Mm-hmm. And he was like way shorter than me and had like terrible acne and like kind of like looked like a rodent. Like he kind of looked like mousy. <laughs> Which, I don't know. He kind of looks like Adam from Girls. Adam from Girls is, like, tall. Yeah, okay, he's like, tall. Like but, you know, he, you know, it's, like, one of those guys who, like, shouldn't be hot, but just, like, looks hot. You know what I mean? What you're describing to me sounds more like a Michael Sarah kind of thing. No, 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 because he was really fit. That's, like, why I was so, like, attracted to him. I see. Okay, so I was obsessed with him, right? And I, my friend Hannah was like pretty close with him too. And uh, sometimes we'd like go on these drives together. And one day we just like ended up back at my house and it was raining. And we went into like the spare room while my parents were out. And uh, everyone was like, I'm tired. It was like after school. And so we all got into bed and Hannah, like knowing fully well that like, I had such a crush on Jacob, like, she started making out with him while I was in the bed. No. Have I told you this story before? No, you haven't. Was Jacob gay? No, but, I mean, of course he wasn't gay. Like, we think a gay guy in high school is going to have a crush on on another gay man? It's not Glee. you're right. Gay people don't exist in high school. You do. I did. I guess it's like, I feel like that was like the first time I ever like learned something from school. <laughs> I mean, like obviously you have like all this stuff that's imparted on you. You know, you have like math, math. <laughs> you have math, like you have geometry, geometry. You have AP art history. Oh, I love that class. I got a five. Oh my God. I know. Haha, <laughs> I beat you. You did. No, but like that was like the first time I ever like learned something and I think that was like the first time I ever learned that like I love being emotionally mistreated by men because honestly like I at first like pretended to be really offended and like mad at this girl Hannah but like I distinctly recall like writing in my diary like with such like fervor how excited I was that such a dramatic thing happened to me well you like the story of things 
Yeah. And I mean, yeah. is that even like, I feel like that was school, <laughs> honestly. It was like, the important thing I ever got from it was like, these emotional and like sexual sort of mechanisms that I learned from fucking around with the people that I took classes with, basically. Interesting. Is it really? Yes. Truly? Yeah, I've, I've gained insight into this, the Zachary Michichi psyche. I'm glad someone did. I feel lost still, like, thinking about it. It's just a weird, they were making out in your parents' bed, or like in their guest. No, no, it was like in the spare room in my house. Okay. How, how bizarre, like, also she sounds like a bee. She's a fucking bitch for sure. Yeah. That's another thing that high school will teach you is that women are bitchy. Women are bitches. And insane. Because yeah. that, that behavior is not normal. It's a power thing. It is, and I mean, she fucking dominated my, like, twink ass. Like, she may, may as well have made me her cash pig at that point to, like, watch. That's, you know, she, what is it? She lived, she served cunt, and then she died. No, she, um, she got married to, and I guess she didn't get married. She got engaged to a football player from another school. What happened with that? Are they married now? They broke up and now she's dating a girl. Oh, well, good for her. She lived, she served cunt, and she turned into a dyke. <laughs> what a beautiful ending to a really sad story. I guess it is sad, but I mean, that's like what school is for, right? It's like just throwing people together and like making them like make sense With of- like a mess of hormones? Yeah. Because I was like, I was think- thinking- oh, go ahead. I was thinking about middle schools recently because I was talking to my mom about that. I never had that experience because my uh, elementary school was K through eight, but like just the utter cruelty of throwing children together in their like hormonal peak and then just like watching what happens. It feels like the Stanford prison experiment, like just some psychotic like experiment to see what people will do. Yeah. No, I agree. It's like, there's no, I can't even believe that, like, I was asked to, like, socially function in school. Like, I was overweight. I had, like, these terrible, greasy bangs that, like, gave me, like, I was, and I had, like, constant, like, I had, like, constant acne on my forehead, and I wore this, like, terrible leather blazer to school every day because I thought it made me look like Harry Mason from Silent Hill. So, finals are unfortunately basically over, and this will be of no use to you, whoever you are, for months, if not years, but it's time to learn how to write a paper. Uh, people, especially writers, love acting like writing is difficult, and it is, if you're writing something of worth, which you don't have to, to do well in college classes. The bar is low now, you understand? 
probably about two-thirds of the people in I had given humanities quests I took were barely able to write coherent sentences and would utterly humiliate themselves if they'd ever raised their hand in quests. It's like that everywhere, so don't stress. Bars low. This was my fundamental mistake early on. I assumed I was part of the Great Western Project, contributing to the store of the world's knowledge that my words mattered. I was overcome by paralyzing fear, awe, reading authors and philosophers of yesteryear, and feeling like a dwarf, you know? And I was wrong. You don't have to compete with them. You just have to be a little more lucid than everyone else you're in the class with. Uh, should be easy if you're the sort of person listening to this. They're going to ask you a question. Maybe they'll ask you multiple questions. Doesn't matter. All you have to do is answer it. Usually, all this takes is reading the assigned material. If you're familiar with it, the answer comes naturally, immediately. No, this sounds like bullshit, but I spent like such a long time trying to find some way of just doing the reading, and it turns out, if you sit there and you actually do all the reading, everything else comes much more easily. Professors are pretty good about picking out the things you have to read, right? Um, sometimes they actually just want you to tell them what they want to hear. So I'm pressed for time, but usually if you search their name on the library website, scan a couple papers they wrote, start the semester, you'll figure it out real fast. If it's one of those obnoxious open assignments, make it about whatever you're reading outside of class, whatever you're passionate about. If you're not reading anything outside of class, ask one of the other girls what they're writing about. I don't know what you people do. Anyway, so you've got to introduce the paper, you've got to hit them with the thesis, you've got to hit them with the answer to your question, whatever, you hit them with the conclusion. Usually, once you've fully covered everything, that's going to be like 20% of the required length. So, like it or not, you've got to start padding. This is supposed to prepare you for graduate work. Please don't do that. I don't recommend substance dependence, but I was like drinking some white wine at this point, like Carrie Bradshaw instead. Uh, now you pretend, while you're writing, that you're trying to keep a beautiful member of the opposite gender you just met at a bar entertained while simultaneously discussing the topic of your paper. It doesn't matter what you do as long as this girl in your head's laughing at you. Ridiculous, lunatic, antic, attic flights of fancy, allusion to any myth, lore, you know, you know, uh, Evangelion, the Greeks, Agartha, whatever. It does not matter. Just keep the patter going until that page limit is hit. The part of your brain that evolved to write papers is likely tiny, shriveled, potentially vestigial at this point, but the part of your brain that flirts is your entire brain, and now you're using it. Hit the page limit, go back through and check for typos, bada bing, bada boom, you're done. Should get you a high B, low A, depending on like, guy, lady, professor. Um, if you're in one of the non-writing majors, cheat as much as you can, that's what all the Chinese and Indian kids are doing. What is said within these walls never leaves these walls. You will all carry this information to your grave. Whether or not that's by choice is up to you. Your elite positions require that you're aware of all of this top secret information. What you hear today will shake you to your core. And as a result, your foundational beliefs will likely crumble. There's been more than I can count that have been put into the insane asylum after briefings such as this. But what you will see and hear today is real. 
Now that you've had time to prepare yourselves as much as anyone can be prepared, we will begin. Single bullet theory? The truth is far more disturbing. JFK's death was the result of a deadly combination of pop rocks and soda. Additionally, the soda was Mountain Dew, which caused his penis to shrink shortly after death, something that baffled the coroners at the time. Next. There was an episode of Barney where he cussed at a kid. Next. My cousin performed his sexuality in Mortal Kombat. I know because I saw him. Next. Your teacher's lounge had a pool in it. All your schools had pools in the teacher's lounges. Next. Marilyn Manson is Paul from the Wonder Years. He later had ribs removed in order to perform auto fellatio. Next. The lead singer of the Crash Test Dummies, known for their 1993 single, Mm 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 had three testicles, which allowed for his distinctive deep bass baritone voice. Next. Mr. Rogers was a member of this exact unit. He got a tattoo for every confirmed kill, of which there were many, and he wore his signature cardigan to cover them. It's 9.45, Tuesday morning. I'm pissed. Mrs. Sheffield just scolded me in front of the entire football team, or as I called them, my brothers in arms, because I didn't remember that Lincoln was born in 1809. God, I hate her. The team is going to roast me in the locker room after school. I cannot believe this. My eyes glaze over thinking about going home and playing Modern Warfare 2, and before I know it, it's 11.30. I've listened to her drone on for almost two hours, and now it's time. What's gonna be for lunch? God, I hope it isn't rice and beans. That shit sucks. Michelle Obama ruined the only good part about middle school by making us eat cardboard for lunch every day. We're forced into our adolescent chain gang being led to the lunchroom by that Sheffield bitch when I catch a whiff. That smell. Could it be? It is. We're having pizza for lunch. Oh man, finally. I watched the fat lunch lady plop that soggy and stale pizza on my plate with the shitty cubed pepperoni on top of what they call cheese. And man, I am so excited. Once we exit the lunch line, we scatter towards our different tables. I sit down next to my brothers in arms and after they finish making Lincoln jokes, I take the first chewy bite. It's like beef jerky. Takes me 45 seconds to finish chewing that first bite, but I don't care. I'm savoring this crappy pizza. Having pizza for lunch is the highlight of my month. The conversation starts to die down and I start thinking about pizza as a whole. I acknowledge to myself that this pizza is horrible and start to think what makes me enjoy this pizza so much. I feel like I'm getting close to an answer and then that screeching bell rings and it's over. On to algebra I guess.
bells, 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 at Growling Pub. Waking ungodly early morning toothpaste, orange juice, Flintstones vitamin, and haste, REM cycle botched, hair freezing at the bus, forgetting the sign slip, homework stamped, fuck. And what did I learn all those years? What did I learn? But how to procrastinate and make excuse, how arbitrary rules are, how to schmooze, how to share, how to wait for my turn, how to cheat, to not ask why, but do when asked to do, and with good cheer, tantamount that comportment of fear. Of course, good cheer, good sociability, manners, asking if one may not, if one can throw an apple core into the garbage can. How bored, how boring to pace the same dull courses daily, each class only blips of lecture, paperwork, discussion, game, all these cursives learned to sign my name on checkbooks that don't exist, and Google's all arithmetic. Why were we prepared for this? What did I learn? A fiction? Lies? Opinions on this fiction honed in paragraphs? The rubric five. I jumped the hoops, but where's the bone? What treasure served as carrot prod? I list school sacraments, but God? What God did I pray to back then? I remember. I prayed for the end. I prayed I'd die. In fact, I know. One morning, after promised snow, unfell, and absent, school unclosed, my death my wish to God disclosed. No wonder there's stage for death. Mass tortures, prison riots, thefts. Who doesn't want to die in school? See the teacher's lounge. They too, they too are trapped. They too want out. Miss Pleiade, Miss Maya shouts, go to the library, my child. Read a book under the sun, beneath the tree, exhume the wild. Wisdom be thy wife, my son. And this, yes, God, thy mother, wife, thy secret love, thy opaque bliss under the desk, the books, my life, the books I'd read, the girl I'd kiss at end of day. To these two things in one, I'd pray.